The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. It is a true emergency. Quick, run. Welcome to Mystery Team Inc. And we're back. <laughs> I really like that you did fake Foley of a fake <laughs> award-winning sound design. Uh, it was the we're back that got me. And we're back. Welcome to Mystery Team Inc., the podcast where the game's made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> You've never done that before. I think I said it one time, but not in the context of introducing the podcast. Yay, we're here. We're here. We're here. Get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Maggie. I'm Kayla. I think I want to change we're... my name. Okay. <laughs> I'm roll. Let's roll with it. Okay. Let's brains brains. Ball, brain ball, spit storm. <laughs> I just kind of want to have like a spit storm. <laughs> There's no bad ideas in brain balling. No bad ideas in spit storms. <laughs> what do you want to change it to? I don't know. I just feel like Kayla doesn't like roll off the tongue. Okay, you want to pick something more on brand? <sighs> yes. Okay, it pains me to say this, but you can have cat stabler. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so nice. I was gonna go with like Captain. <laughs> okay, now I have to ask: is is it Captain in um like a Generation Alpha way where that's actually your name, or is it a title? Like, Nobody is your knows. name like Captain, like Captain Carol Vandebunt, or is it like <laughs> Captain Kayla Carol Vandebunt? Um, I think. I think it's a title. Okay. Okay, great. But you'll never know what I'm captain of. Right. I think I'm it's just captain. It. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's captain the way that, like, celebrities name their kids Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm Captain Paltrow. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. What did you say? Captain, captain Paltrow. Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to write a character into something now called Captain Paltrow. Oh, God. Just like a very serious man who really pushes for like jade eggs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, do you have any top of show business? Mm, nope. What's interesting is <laughs> when I say do I you have any top something. of show business, what I really mean is I have top of show business. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So give us your give us the business. First top of show business is when we last spoke, we were but 
nary a speck on the the window windshield of tiktok and today we are a full crack in that windshield we are a full crack in that windshield we are tiktok micro influencers now (laughs) i told my parents today i was like maggie and i are technically tiktok micro influencers now and my mom was like "Uh (laughs) uh-huh Your mother, however, is very interested and very proud. She watches them all. If you're not watching them, you should go watch them because I think they're fun. And they're that's so really fun. all I have to say. Yeah. Um, you also, you all show, you also should go follow us on Instagram because that's when we announce our new episodes. So, wow. um, second, second business. I think this might be the first time this has happened. So correct me if I'm wrong, but one of our former mysteries has been solved. Oh my god. I, is, is this the first time that's happened or has this happened I before? think it's the first time. There have been updates, but I think this is the first time that one has been no, they've never. capital S solved. Yeah. So I really should have looked this up before I said this, but because I don't know what number it was. Um, I can pull but, that up for you. Will you pull that up for me? Thank you. I'd love to. But um, like, two year, like a year ago or so, uh, I did a mystery called the mystery of forest fence treasure. And it was a story about a man who buried like a million dollars worth of antiquities in the mountains somewhere. And then he wrote a poem and published it in a, in a novel, in a memoir. And a bunch of people went, went looking for it. He, he buried it in like 2000. And uh, in the last like 20 years, like five people died looking for it like falling off of mountains and stuff, RIP. And in, uh, I think, July of last year, somebody found it. And his identity remained a secret because of legal reasons. Um, But he recently came out and admitted that it was him. And it was a 32-year-old medical student uh, from Michigan who, I think it said he used to write for The Onion. (laughs) Oh, my God. And he found Forest Fence Treasure. It's episode 36. Thank you. So without further ado, I think it might be time to get on to my mystery for today. I'm so excited. You have no idea what you're in for. I'm worried also. You guys, usually I tell Kayla if I'm like really excited about something or I tell her like the genre. Like we used to, when we used to do mysteries together in the same episode... We would often tell each other the tell each other the genre to make sure we didn't accidentally do the same mystery. <laughs> so Kayla usually has like some kind of vague idea about what I'm doing, but she has no idea what I'm doing today, and I think she's gonna lose her mind. <laughs> Are you about to ruin something else I love? No. <laughs> You're gonna they're gonna okay. like this. I don't trust you anymore. Copy that. <laughs> <laughs> because of the sleepy because time of tea. tea debacle. Today's mystery is a black widow. <gasps> this is the mystery of Hell's Princess <gasps> Belle Gunness, the Butcher of Men. Yes! yes! <laughs> Today we're oh my covering God, I'm so excited. female serial killer Belle Gunness. I love her and I remember no details, so this is very exciting for me. Yay. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Girl boss power, hashtag lady boss. <laughs> um, so, 
Now I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Quick source shout out. Um, so the place the place that I first became aware of this story was the last podcast on the left, and mm-hmm. the source that. Marcus Parks used is Harold Schechter's book, Hell's Princess, The Mystery of Belle Gunness, Butcher of Men. We love Harold Schechter. And I was like, that's a great idea. So I also used that book as a source. And then obviously Wikipedia, the internet, uh, a couple of like sites that I'm pretty sure were coded in like 1999 (laughs) um, that were primarily about like Norwegian history, but they just like had to include Belle Gunness. Um I really so. like that you credited the internet as a source. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do that in MLA, please? Yeah, I will. Like, the internet, period, comma. <laughs> when did it start? 1989. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Parentheses. Mm-hmm. So, Belle Gunness. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, let me take was- one cyclical breath and prepare myself. Okay. That was not long enough to be a cyclical, but okay. I wasn't started yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't want a cyclical breathe. I just want to heal it. Okay, I don't want to breath shame you. Um, <laughs> you already did. Mindfulness judgment over here. Um, um, she's a bit of a mindfulness gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah. God forbid <laughs> me over here gatekeeping meditation. Okay. <laughs> so Belle Gunness was born Brynhild Paulstadter Storset. Nope. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's my name. I'm <laughs> pronouncing Captain. Captain, <laughs> Captain Brynhild, Paul Stadter Storset. November, November, November 11th, November. 1859 in Selbu, Norway. She grew to be six feet tall and she weighed <sighs> over 280 pounds. Girl, boss. There is an unverified account of a story about her before she immigrated that is uncorroborated. It's probably just like legend that like happened after, but the story goes that in 1877, she went to a country dance while pregnant and she was attacked by a man who kicked her in the abdomen and it caused her to miscarry. And because he was like, um, like an upper class person, he was never prosecuted. And evidently after that happened, her personality changed completely. Yeah, don't um, blame you. Yes. Also, shortly after the man supposedly died of stomach cancer. That may or may not be true. It certainly makes a good Joker origin story. <laughs> um, but regardless, Brynhild decided to immigrate to the U.S. in 1881 at age 21, and she rebranded as Bella. Yep. Captain Bella. Love that. Um, One thing that's important to know about Belle is that Her sister said, when she immigrated, my sister was insane on the subject of money and she would do anything to get it. What did I say? Hashtag girl boss. (laughs) Get that paper, sis. Get that paper. In 1884, she married her first husband, Mads Sorensen. I think it's pronounced mess. Like mess Mickelson. Oh, is it? That's what I was told by some voracious uh, Hannibal <laughs> fans at Comic-Con. Oh, so if it's spelled M-A-D-S. M-A-D-S. It's mess? It doesn't really matter, but let's see. Denmark remi- r- rhymes with jazz. Maz. Maz. Maz Mickelson. 
Okay. It's just that. I only know that because of his jawline and pocket squares. <laughs> Listen, your weird obsession is behooving us. Okay. <laughs> so she and Maz Sorensen settled down in Chicago. At the time, Belle's sister had like five kids and Belle did not have any kids and evidently she was having trouble conceiving, but she was possessed with what they called maternal impulses and all the children in the neighborhood knew her as like the kind lady that lived down the street. So she had baby um, fever. She did have baby, baby she fever. She girl boss baby Girl boss fever. baby fever, correct. You can have it all. <laughs> you can have all of the things that are hard about being a woman. Yeah, exactly. That's really so what she, they mean when they say you can have you it can all. Have it all. Yeah. They're like, you can have a Anxiety job. and depression. <laughs> as and a woman, As a woman, I'm always trying to have it all. Anxiety and depression. (laughs) And sometimes, Um, as a treat, manic episodes. And sometimes, why? (laughs) Anxiety, depression, and sometimes, why? That's why I use Tampax. (laughs) That's why I use Yaz. (laughs) For birth control, it will probably kill you. Yaz. Unbelievable works to be. Thank you. Um, so yeah, she had it all and she was obsessed with children and she basically asked her sister if she could adopt her youngest daughter, Olga. So she was like, can I just have one of yours? Right. She was like, you have four cookies. Can I have one of yours? It literally was. And Nellie was like, no. And then Belle stopped talking to her pretty much for the rest of their lives. That's some big girl boss energy right there. That is Big, if, if someone isn't giving you what you want, they are toxic. You cut them yeah, out of your life. cut them out, sis. <laughs> um, in 1891, Belle adopted a child under what I would call peculiar circumstances. Mm-hmm. So Anton Olson, who was the child's father, later explained, this is a quote, when Jenny was eight months old, her mother was dying. Mrs. Sorensen, a.k.a. Belle, begged the dying woman to bequeath the child to her. My wife put the baby in Bella's arms and called on her to swear that she would guard the little one as her own, rear and care for her. Bella swore that she would regard the pledge as sacred. My wife died soon afterward. After Bella took the child, I saw her frequently. She brought Jenny to me often and kept her well-dressed. The child was happy. So she adopted a child from a dying woman whose husband was like, I guess, and then, like... A couple years later, he did try to come back and take custody, but Belle won custody of Jenny in court. What's peculiar about that to you? I think it's just weird to ask a dying person for their child, especially if one of the other parents is alive, don't you? Oh, did she ask for it? Yeah, she said she begged the dying woman to bequeath the child to her. My wife oh. put the baby in Bella's arms and said, take her, like, take care of her. Oh, in my head... I ignored that part, and it was just, like, a nice story. But... Here's the thing. To me, it just seems impolite. I would, Sorry, wait. I would... What part of that was a nice story to you without the other part? That there was, like, a dying mother who was like, please take my son. Watch over him. <laughs> Is that a nice story? Yeah. <laughs> okay, What's I don't know. What's not nice about to... it? 
the dying person, the orphan child, the no, the dad okay, in the background all, just being like, not an orphan. You two. <laughs> Clearly, the yeah, dad not was an like, <laughs> the dad was there. <laughs> the dad was like, oh, that's actually my. And Belle was like, hush. And he was like, copy that, ma'am. <laughs> if that woman was standing in your door, if she darkened your doorway at six foot, 280 pounds, you'd probably say the same thing. Okay. So. <laughs> darkened my doorway. <laughs> You mean so that lit up be, my life? Correct. Girl boss. So that girl's name, that, that baby's name was Jenny. And it's spelled Jenny like my grandma Jenny with an IE for some reason. Oh. So Belle and Maz opened up a candy shop in 1894. Oh, God. The candy shop sold candy, a few groceries, and cigarettes because it was the 1800s when all medicine was poison and all candy was cigarettes. <laughs> and... <laughs> The candy shop was not successful because I think just because everyone was probably terrified of Belle and whatever, but... Yeah, because she was a six-foot-two giant woman, like, hey, do you guys want some candy or cigarettes? I'm a girl boss. <laughs> this is my child I stole. <laughs> she... I didn't... Well, I don't think... I didn't steal... Nope. Uh, okay, like, can you not defend her in the improv? <laughs> I just think that just the kidding. mom... The okay. mom bequeathed the child. Okay, well, I don't I don't want to spoil anything for you, but it wasn't a good call. <laughs> I was bequeathed. Oh my god, I know, I'm gonna start but... saying that instead of saying I'm adopted. <laughs> Why are That's your parents fair. white? Well, I was bequeathed. I was bequeathed upon them. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, listen, <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with adoption. I'm just I'm trying not to spoil this for you, but I just want to tell you it was a bad decision. It didn't end well for Jenny, is what I'm saying. Fine. We'll, we'll get there. Okay. So, less than a year after they opened it, the candy shop burned down. Okay. Belle claimed that it was they due... they were selling cigarettes. Right, exactly. Well, Belle claimed that it was due to a kerosene lamp that exploded, but inspectors never found, quote, any trace of glass or fragments or other evidence of a broken lamp. But luckily, the shop was insured, and Belle and Maz received an insurance payout. Luckily, luckily, heavy air quotes. <laughs> you gave Professor Montoya a lap dance. Yeah, luckily. luckily. <laughs> so, what a they fucking sold the incredible shop. film. I know, one of my favorites. Um, so they sold the shop and they moved to the suburbs. And over the next two years, they became parents to four more children. And I, when I say became parents, Beque- I don't and was mean- it four bequeaths? I believe so. So, Caroline, Axel, Myrtle, and Lucy. Axel. According to Harold Schechter, who says, whether these babies were born in rapid succession to Belle, who was then in her late 30s, or as seems more probable, orphaned or unwanted infants that she took in, remains even today a matter of dispute. So, uh, what we do know is that two of them died when they were less than five months old. Yo, boy. At the time, infant mortality was like the rate, the infant mortality rate was so high that no one really questioned it. But scholars point out that the symptoms of their causes of death, which were acute colitis and hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain, are also not dissimilar to poisoning. Mm-hmm. So, jury's out. In 1897, Maz and Bell fell for a scam and they signed over a note for $750. Um, that would become due in two years. 
I don't have time to get into the story, but basically there was like a guy who was like, you should buy stock in this mine. And they were like, great idea. And then he disappeared and there was no mine. Um, in 1900, part of their home burned down due to a quote unquote faulty heating apparatus. But luckily, as the Chicago Tribune reported, all the property destroyed was insured and they got a payout of $650. Yeah. Luckily. As soon as their bill became due, exactly, for the scam. Okay. So at the time of the fire, Maz had a $2,000 life insurance policy that would expire on July 30th of 1900. He had decided to let that policy... Okay, so he could have, like, canceled that policy. Um, but what he decided to do was just let it lapse and take out a new one for $3,000 that started on the same day. That day, I'm going to explain, don't worry. That day, a young doctor gets an urgent call to come to the Sorensen house where he finds Maz laying on the bed dead. Belle told him that Maz had been suffering from a bad cold and he came home that day with what she called a fearful headache. So she'd given him a dose of quinine powder and gone downstairs to make dinner. And then when she came back upstairs, he was dead. And the doctor was like, oh, did the druggist maybe accidentally give you morphine instead of quinine? Um, and she was like, I don't know. And he was like, well, can I see the paper wrapping that the drug came in? And she was like, oh, I already threw it away. And he was like, oh, okay, bummer. Um, <laughs> the newspaper wrote, had Bella's husband died a day earlier, his wife would only have been able to collect on his first life insurance policy of $2,000. Or if a day later, only on the second for $3,000. <gasps> Dying as he did, she collected on both the old and new policies a total of $5,000 in today's money $150,000. Oh. So there was Girl only one day get that, that the policies paper. overlapped. That there is was only one bananas. day that the policies overlapped. And so she just killed him. <laughs> oh my God. At his God. funeral. Yeah. And everyone was like, this seems weird, but lucky her. Like, what a lucky bitch. And at yeah, his funeral. Luckily. Luckily. At his funeral, Belle's sister Nellie said, a terrible feeling came over me. I felt just like something was going to happen. And she had no fucking idea <laughs> that this was like oh the, the beginning. So Belle decided after visiting family in the countryside that she wanted a farm. Because um, she thought it'd be a nice place for the kids to grow up and she wanted to get out of the city. So she put an ad in the paper looking for a farm to buy. And she bought a farm that would become her forever home called Abattoir Acres in LaPorte, Indiana. And she moved there and rebranded again as Belle. Also, I didn't write this down, but the farm itself already had kind of like a haunted history. And at one point it had belonged to a madam and it was a brothel. So it was like, <gasps> oh my out. God, this but, is another fucking girl boss, man. I know. But the, um, the, the madam died and like it was rumored that she was poisoned by a rival oh who was another God. girl boss i would um, like to hear that girl boss murder mystery as well there are so many girl boss murder mysteries okay who knew hashtag girl boss murder mystery so there was a time during bell's first marriage when she and maz had briefly taken in a boarder named peter who was also norwegian um and peter went on to move to minneapolis and marry a woman named jenny with an ie again which is weird um, and they would have two daughters together. But Jenny died during the birth of their second child. And while Belle was visiting her cousin in Minnesota, she went to Minneapolis and she visited Peter. 
And then on April 1st of 1902, Belle and Peter Gunnis were married. Oh, I thought she was just going to bequeath herself the child. <laughs> well, she did that too. Um, but five days later, his seven-month-old daughter died from edema of the lungs. From what? Edema of the lungs. Edema. Oh, edema. Edema yeah. of the lungs. Okay. Five days later, sorry, yeah, five days later, his seven-month-old died of edema of the lungs. Again, like, maybe, but there's, like, just, like, a trail of dead children Yeah, but that also probably wake, so looks like, a whole lot like poisoning. Yeah, exactly. Um, eight months later, at 3 a.m. one morning, the neighbors were startled awake by 12-year-old Jenny banging an iron stove poker on their door. And when they opened the door to her, Jenny said, Mama wants you to come up. Papa's burned himself. The neighbors rushed over. They found Belle distraught in tears and Peter face down on the floor of the parlor with a huge, ugly wound on the back of his head. His nose broken and blood all around him. Sounds like a burn to me. Yeah. Sounds like edema of the lungs. Um, (laughs) Sounds like colitis. So the neighbor ran to town to get Bo Bowell, who was the doctor slash coroner. And he came to the Gunnis house and he took one look at Peter and he was like, yeah, what you got here is a classic murder. And (laughs) (laughs) Belle, this is the story that Belle told. Her husband had gone into the kitchen to get his shoes, which he liked to keep, which he kept near the stove to stay warm. As he stooped to retrieve them, a meat grinder had tumbled from a shelf above his head, striking the back of his skull and overturning a bowl of hot brine that scalded his neck. Despite his injuries, he'd assured her that he was all right and had laid down to rest. A few hours later, she discovered him dead on the parlor floor. I know who killed him. <laughs> was it, it was Rube Goldberg. Oh. <laughs> You're so right. He like, like, like got his shoes and like tipped a bowl, and the bowl knocked the meat grinder, and then the meat grinder like knocked a marble down a tube, it was and like then Wallace and Gromit. It was literally, yeah. And then he had taken, he'd lain down to rest, face down with a broken nose. Um, no, I'm kidding. He'd lain down in the parlor, she said. And then a few hours later, she discovered him dead on the floor. Nobody really believed it. her. Really? It sounds pretty <laughs> plausible to me. Sounds airtight to me. Um, nobody really believed her. And the autopsy showed that the cause of death was a blow to the back of the head. So the doctor set up an inquest. Um Belle was questioned, Jenny was questioned, the neighbors were questioned, but everyone stuck to their story, and the autopsy alone couldn't prove that he wasn't hit in the head by the falling meat grinder, so the case was closed. Although, it just doesn't really seem, you know. Well, Your Honor, there's nothing to suggest it wasn't a meat grinder. <laughs> that meat grinder is innocent until proven guilty. Um, if the if it glove fits, you must acquit. <laughs> Now, I'm not a fancy just, lawyer like, like all you a glove lawyers. on a meat grinder. <laughs> yes. So, allegedly, Myrtle, later, whispered to a schoolmate. I'm jumping forward in time. But, like, allegedly later, Myrtle, who, when she was five, whispered to a schoolmate, my mama killed my papa. She hit him with a meat cleaver and he died. Don't tell us all. God, um, I love when kids do shit like that. Yeah, me too, except that a week later, Myrtle would also be dead, but we're not there yet. Uh-uh. I know. What? Okay. So, a few months after Peter died, Belle gave birth, sort of. What? 
How do you she sort cl- of? She claimed that she was giving birth. But when the midwife arrived, the baby was already born, bathed, and dressed. And when a neighbor came by that afternoon to, like, lend a hand, Belle was in the backyard washing clothes in the cistern. And then the next day, another neighbor came by, and Belle was in the yard chasing pigs. And Belle was 43 at the time. And all she's the like, women... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, she's, like, one of those women who's, like, pregnancy was, like, super easy for me. Yeah, and labor exactly. was, like, nothing... Yeah, this is some Captain Paltrow shit. She's like, <laughs> it really is. Easy breezy, beautiful. I just burned some sage, and it was like, honestly, it was like <laughs> taking a really nice dump. I manifested my baby. Um, <laughs> I manifested my baby. Yeah, and Belle was forty three at the time, so she was the age that Gwyneth Paltrow started Goop, and all three women. So let 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 is don't let really? them tell you. Is that one Gwyneth? No, I'm just kidding. Goop? I have no oh. idea. Really so don't excited. let them tell you that women don't peak after 40. But all of the women that came to visit were like, that baby is way too old to be a newborn. <laughs> it's like on TV shows. Yeah. When they when show the, the birth scene like and the baby's clearly too. <laughs> yeah. And you can see it like talking a little bit. They're like, <laughs> ah, ah, my child. And it's like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And like <laughs> off camera, someone's like, shh, 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 to the baby. Because it's like two and it's like just learning to say words. And you like, only get pass. like three takes. Because yeah, of child labor laws. Yeah. Um, so all women were like, that baby was too old to be a newborn. This is what's so weird to me is like, why would you even fake that? Why would you not just be like, I'm adopting? Maybe someone had a missing baby is the only thing I could think. Like maybe she yeah. got, maybe the baby was like ill gotten. Um, yeah. Someone was like, that looks an awful lot like Mary's baby from yeah, down the street. That went missing. She has um, that Cartwright nose. <laughs> and Belle's like, I fucked Mr. Cartwright. You got any more questions? Yeah. Girl boss. Next question. Hashtag girl boss. Hashtag meat grinder. Um, we're gonna start we're gonna start meat grinder feminism is what we're gonna start. Oh um so meat around that time. Feminism. I like that because it kind of sounds like we're grinding meat, like we're chopping off dicks. Yeah. And we'll get to that. Um, so around this time, yes. oh yeah, mm. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. There is no literal dick chopping off, but we, it's questionable how the sausage got made. Okay. Around that time. <laughs> or Peter's how the sausage brother... got unmade. Correct. That's another dick joke for you. Okay. Around that you know time. <laughs> <laughs> so around that time, Peter's brother Goost came to the farm because he was 100% sure that Belle murdered his brother and his youngest daughter, and he was concerned about Peter's other child, Swanhild. No. Do you want to take that name? Yes, okay. I do. <laughs> Who was still in Belle's care. Um, and evidently... Peter had a life insurance, luckily, Peter had a life insurance policy worth $2,500 that was in Swanhild's name. So Goost came to the farm and was like, hey, what happened to that $2,500? And Belle said, it's in a Coogan account. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You know I can't touch that till she's 18. Um, When... (laughs) But oh Bell my god, that was that... so good. <laughs> it's you. an Akugan account. <laughs> <laughs> Bell said that oh. she had invested it and that if the stock ever did well, that Swanhild would be a wealthy girl. GME and... to the moon, baby. Yeah, but obviously that was a lie, and Peter's brother, Goose, was like, fuck this. And <sighs> Bell was proposed that he stay at the farm and help her manage it. 
And Goost, apparently being the smartest person in this whole fucking story, said fuck that and took Swanhild in the night and left. I love it. Literally the smartest person in the whole story from beginning to end. Just warning you now. Oh, no. So, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something that's probably going to make you like Belgunas temporarily, which is More that than she, I already do? She took over all of Peter's farm jobs herself, and she would, like, wear a sealskin cap and a leather jacket and Peter's shoes, and she would go to, like, farm auctions and buy, like, big machinery, and she would, they said she would purchase a 200-pound hog, pick it up, and toss it into her wagon as easily as if it was a bag of laundry girl boss fucking meat grinder feminism what is she gonna do next start nasty gal (laughs) yes so she acquired livestock that makes me really like her yeah because she She could be in like an alternative woman dove commercial where they're like these are our sheroes and it's just like (laughs) women who don't work in corporate america (laughs) yes exactly she wears um, boots today. <laughs> She's our shero. Yeah, exactly. So Belle acquired livestock, machinery, and all kinds of stuff. And by 1904, she couldn't manage the farm on her own because she was running a full operation. Um, and so she put an ad in a Norwegian newspaper for a farmhand. So she was like, and, come to Indiana from Norway? Uh, a Norwegian oh. pa- newspaper in... Uh, the U.S. Oh, okay. Um, and so it was that Olaf Lindbo, just another great name. Yeah, um, I was just absorbing it. <laughs> another Norwegian immigrant packed up all his belongings, including his life savings of $600, luckily. Luckily. And moved to LaPorte, Indiana to work for the Widow Gunness, as she was called at the time. How many um, times over was she a widow now? Just the once or twice? Twice. Maz and Peter Gunness. Okay. So apparently they got along well. And within a few months, Olaf was telling people that they were going to get married. Um, wow. Not long after that, Belle asked a man named Chris Christofferson, hold for laughs, <laughs> to come help her on the farm. Hold for <laughs> Um... Named Chris, named Chris Christofferson to come help her on the farm because her farmhand had left during a major job, she said, in heavy air quotes, luckily. Um, and when Chris asked where he had gone, she told him that he went to see the World's Fair and her neighbor, which is a great euphemism, like, he bought the farm, he went to see the World's Fair. I know. Um, her neighbor, the Nicholsons, were told that he had gone home to see the new king of Norway be crowned. Oh, my God. He went to a farm upstate. Exactly. And when Olaf's father wrote her, because he'd stopped receiving letters from Olaf, she told him that it was her understanding that he'd gone out west and took up a homestead someplace. <laughs> and Olaf would not be the first person to go out west. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just not, like I had last. many goldfish go to the great yeah. sea in the sky. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Just kidding. My parents would just be like, you killed your fish. I don't know what you want. (laughs) (laughs) A few months later, in April of 1905, Henry Gerholt arrived to help on the farm with a trunk full of clothes. Did she get him from the newspaper, too? Yes. Okay. 
So I'm learning a lot. <laughs> yeah, take notes. <laughs> In August, Belle showed up at Chris Christopherson's house, and she was like, can you come help me stack oats? Because Henry Gerholt quit suddenly. And he was like, oh, he did. Did he? And she was like, yeah, he said he was sick and couldn't do work. He went to Chicago, and he only took a small bag of clothes with him. And he went and out Chris west, like, and he went to see the king being born. Yeah, exactly. He went um, for milk, and he never came home. Yes. She said that he had gone to Chicago, taking with him only a small satchel of clothes, which is not a suspicious thing to say. Um, yeah, that's a very interesting that, detail to be like, and also correct. he only took a few clothes. I just, I just want you to know. She said that he had left behind his trunk full of clothes and an expensive fur coat. And that winter, Christofferson saw her wearing the coat. Puzzled as to why a man would move to Chicago without his coat, Christofferson had asked Belle if Gerholt didn't want it and, like, if he had, hadn't written her for it. And no, Belle replied, she had not heard a word from him. Luckily. <sighs> yeah, luckily. Chris Christofferson, careful. You just, you be careful where you put your Chris Chris nose because... <laughs> You are in danger, my friend. Yeah. In the summer of 1905, Bell ran this ad in a Norwegian newspaper. Wanted. A woman who owns a beautifully located and valuable farm in first-class condition wants a good and reliable man as partner in same. Some little cash is required and will be furnished first-class security. So I'm sure you're all wondering, yes, I did put that on my Hinge profile, and yes, it has been very successful. No, I'm kidding. Um, and yes, I did get a new fur coat out of it. And yes, he yeah. did go to Chicago. <laughs> to see the King of Norway be crowned. Um, Listen, I don't know what happened to Chad from Tinder. I heard he went to Chicago to see the King of Norway being born. Exactly. <laughs> How many replies she received is unknown. But her mailman said that she received one to four letters every morning and sometimes as many as eight to ten letters a day. I would consider that a micro-influencer. I, <laughs> I totally agree. This is, she is a meat grinder influencer. Oh my god, once again, girl boss. Here's who came calling. George Berry came from Tuscola, Illinois with, with 15, Illinois with $1,500 cash, 40 grand in today's money, after informing acquaintances that he was moving to LaPorte for a job and possibly a marriage. A few weeks later, Christian Hilkven sold his farm Wait, in Dover, Wisconsin. out the gate, he was like, I might be marrying this girl from the newspaper? Yeah, because that's what she said. She said, I'm looking for a reliable man as a partner. Just, oh, I you thought just have she just a meant cash. like a business partner. Mm-mm. Oh. No. And here's the thing. We know we will find out later that she seduced them in her letters. So it mm. may intentionally have been worded vaguely, but she basically wrote all of them and was like, oh, I would so love to have you as a husband. Um, yeah. Gotcha. A few weeks later, Christian Hilkben sold his farm in Dover, Wisconsin for $2,000 and headed off to LaPorte. Emile Tell told his boss he was going to marry a rich widow and went to LaPorte with two grand in his pocket. 50-year-old... Ole Budsberg of Iola, Wisconsin, sold his farm to his sons and told them he was going to LaPorte to get married. In December, John Moe of Elbow Lake, Minnesota, took out $1,000 from his local bank and told the teller he was going to LaPorte. Emile Greening, who was a 19-year-old farmhand that worked for Bell, later testified that men came every week to the farm. I was just going to ask, what is the turnover them? rate? 
as cousins, she would introduce them as cousins from other states. She was careful to keep the children away from her quote unquote cousins and none of them ever stayed long, though he also never witnessed their departure. This is a quote from Harold Schechter. Eventually, Greening recalled, there were about 15 trunks and one room was packed full of all kinds of men's clothing. Mrs. Gunnis said that the cousins had left their clothes and she wasn't certain that they'd be back for them. Here I are just some other... feel like maybe you <laughs> could get rid of some of the clothes. It's like 1900. What are you going to do? Where are you... I mean, burn them. Yeah, no, you're right. Bury you're right. them. You're right. Here are some other suspected victims. Thomas Linbo, Olaf Zverhun from Chicago, William Mingay, a coachman from New York City, Herman Conitzer of Chicago, Charles Edmund, Charles Nieberg, a 28-year-old Scandinavian immigrant from Philadelphia, told his family that he was going to live with Gunnis in June of 1906 and never came back. Why did she John pull so many H- people from Chicago? Because she was from Chicago, I think. Well, I mean, because that I think it's because she was from Chicago. I think that that's where that paper probably was being circulated. Oh, okay. Um, John H. McJunkin, that's a real name. Olaf Jensen, a Norwegian immigrant of Carroll, Indiana. Henry Bizge of Laporte. I uh, used to know a Jonathan McJunkin. Did you really? Yeah. That's I insane. Think from college. That's so weird. Anyway, continue. I'll ask him if he's ever been to Chicago to see a Norwegian king being born. <laughs> good, good idea. <laughs> Henry Bizge of Laporte, who disappeared in June of 1906, and, hired, and his hired man named Edward Canary of Pink Lake, Illinois, who also vanished in 1906. Bert Chase of Mishawaka, Indiana, sold his butcher shop. Uh, Tons Peterson. Um, a gold ring marked SB May 28, 1907 was found at the house later, but we don't know who that was. A hired man named George Bradley, TJ Tiefland, Frank Ridinger, uh, Emile Tell, which is a different Emile than Emile Greening, Lee Porter, Johnny Hunter, George Williams, Ludwig Stoll, Abraham Phillips, August Gunderson, Ole Olson. Lindner Nicholson, Andrew Anderson, Johan Sorensen, and a possible victim we only know as Hinckley. Oh, my God. I feel like you could just keep making names by, like, making <laughs> one bag of, like, for, like, first parts of Norwegian last names and one that just says, like, yeah. like you just, like, Ensign, pick that, like, Jorgen, and, and like then Sim. <laughs> You could just scrabble tile it. Yeah, or get like a and d die and just like <laughs> see what you get. Just get a D20 so, and like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that that's a good place to take a break. And when we come back, now that I've listed. Okay, so before we go, I'll just say, because uh, it's not a spoiler anymore. Belle was responsible for 14 murders, but we, that we know of. And she may have been responsible for over 40. Are they so murders or back. are they itises? <laughs> well, I'll tell you all about them after the break. <laughs> Woo! Ready? Gotta take a break like a hashtag girl boss. Even hashtag girl boss. <laughs> hashtag self care. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag self care. We'll be right back. We'll be right back.
We're back. We're back. Welcome back to Soothing Existential Night Radio. <laughs> First up tonight, love languages. Is your love language just a representation of the needs that weren't met as a child? <laughs> and later, can women really have it all? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you can. Okay. You can. <laughs> Okay, where were we in this mess? Okay, so. 14 confirmed murders. <laughs> yeah, 14 40 confirmed possible kills. micro-influencer yeah. hashtag queen. Correct. So in 1906, Jenny, her daughter who was bequeathed to her, was 16. And she had started to attract male suitors. One of whom was you Emil Greening. You are 16 going on 17. Who will yes. your mom kill next? <laughs> oh, the answer is so unfortunate. So oh, no. one of those is it her Nazi was... boyfriend? <laughs> I wish it was a Nazi. Um, <laughs> what if her... Only times you can say yeah, that. Yeah, correct. So one of uh, those suitors was Emil Greening, who was the farmhand that we heard from earlier, who was 19. Oh, that's so hot. And he and Jenny had gotten really close, and he was crestfallen when Jenny told him that Belle had arranged for her to go to college in California. And she that's said that's another that girl she had... boss move, though. And it would be. She said that she had arranged for a professor to come escort Jenny to school. Um, that sounds fake. And then. One day, right before Christmas, Emil heard that the professor had arrived, and then he was sent on an errand. And when he came back, he asked if he could say goodbye to Jenny, and Belle said, sorry, she already left. She left all her clothes, though. Right. Well, <laughs> no one saw her leave, and no one saw the professor. And then another one of her suitors told a really similar story, saying that Jenny had asked him to come say goodbye to her on Sunday before she was supposed to leave. And when he arrived to say goodbye, Belle told him she already left. And he was like, oh, that's so weird. She told me to come say goodbye. Um, and then over the course of the next year, he sent several letters to Jenny, but he never heard back. And when he asked Belle about it, she laughed and said, oh, that's right. I wrote to her and told her that you'd gotten married. And he was like, no, I didn't get married. My brother got married. Like, tell her I'm single. And Belle was like, oh, I will. I promise. <laughs> No one ever heard from Jenny ever again. Oh, my God. Wow, that song was really in poor taste. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to spoil it for you. Sorry, So Jen. six months later, Emil quit and went out west. But that's real. He really did go out west. Um, he lived to tell the story. Um, he quit because Jenny was gone and he was like, I don't want to be here. This is stupid. So he left and he was replaced by our new bumbling hero of the story, Ray Lamphere. I so, love a bumbling hero. Yeah. So Ray was kind of like his father was like kind of a noble upper class person, but Ray was kind of a drunk and kind of like a disappointment and, um, before he came to the farm, he was, like, kind of just, like, a nobody. Uh, and then he came to the farm to work as a hired hand, and he started having an affair with Belle. 
and Belle lavished gifts on him, and he started telling all of his friends that soon he was going to be the master of the farm. Master of, of the course, farm. <laughs> yeah. Lots of men are dead. <laughs> Sister went to college, but she lost her head. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, of course, he didn't know at the time that since the summer of 1906, Belle had been corresponding by mail with a man named Andrew Helgelin. Helgeline. Helgelin. Helgeline? Andrew. <laughs> Belle had been corresponding with a man named Andrew. And had sent him over 80 letters. And Andrew Helgeline was like her white whale. Like most of these guys, she wrote them like two or three letters. And they were like, I'm on my way. I'm bringing all the money I own and my trunk full of clothes. And she was like, see you outside. Um, But Andrew, she wrote back and forth with him for like two years. Sent him over 80 letters. And most of the letters that she sent to other men were lost because I think a lot of them probably brought them with them. But Andrew left all of his at home when he came. So we have like those 80 (gasps) letters. Oh my God. They're like, she's like sweet as pie in every letter. She's like, oh my darling. Like, I think only of you. I dream of the day we can be together. And then Andrew told her that he would come, but then he postponed. And then she, in one letter, she gets mad and she's like, you said you, would go, you were going to come already. And you just still didn't come. And he's like, okay, relax. But eventually, he did arrive. Um, she, yeah, in her letter, she's, she was like, I have all this farm. She also lied about the size of the farm. She said it was like 10 acres larger than it was. And she was like, it's so beautiful. All the rich people come here for their summer vacation. And she said, this is a quote, even though the world has been a little hard with me, I have just the same kept my good nature. Which is, like, such a fucked up thing to say. Okay. So after two years of back and forth, in January of 1908, he showed up at the farm. And obviously, Ray Lamphere was upset because he, like, during this time, thought that he was going to become, like, get married to Belle. And then all, all of a sudden, her suitor, like, rolls up. So then Andrew and Belle went to the bank. And Andrew cashed out $2,839, which is $75,000 in today's money. Oh, my God. Um, and the, the, the teller was like, oh, it's going to be a few days. And Belle was like, it most certainly will not. <laughs> and the teller was like, I don't know what to tell you. And she got really upset. Um, so then, like, she had to wait, like, three days. And then the money came in. And then Belle sent Ray on an errand to go to to go into town and meet her cousin named John Moe, she called him, which was one of the names of one of the men that showed up at the farm. Oh my God. And Belle said, go into, go into town and meet my cousin, John Moe. And if he doesn't show up by some weird chance, luckily just spend the (laughs) night in town. So Ray was like, like some weird chance. He luckily doesn't show up at all. And Ray was like, that's suspicious. That's weird. So Ray went into town and John Moe didn't show up. And Ray had brought his friend with him. So he and his friend were like, okay, well, I guess John Moe didn't show up. So let's go out drinking. And then um, he was like, you know, I think I'm going to go see what my old lady's up to. He said to his friend. Even though Belle explicitly told him not to come back. So 
he went back to the farm and he was like, I'll be back to his friend at the bar. <laughs> um, sure. His friend waited for him at the bar, but he didn't come back. Andrew was never seen alive again. And Ray was either promptly fired or he, uh, like, quote unquote, quit over a wage dispute and left the farm. Um, he really did leave the farm and he was alive, but why he left is sort of up for speculation. I personally think, and I think the events of the story kind of lend themselves to the idea that maybe he witnessed a murder and then maybe was like, you, you better pay me or I'm going to tell everyone. And she was like, I'm not going to do that. If you don't get out of here, you're next. And then he left. And that sounds I'm like a wage dispute to me. <laughs> At its foundation. Yeah, that's definitely a wage dispute. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that she didn't just kill him. I'm also surprised about that. Um, I don't think that Ray like walked in on the murder, but I think he maybe like saw it or like heard it. And there are accounts later that I don't believe um, that like he had like drilled a hole in the floor of the cellar so he could like look into the parlor and see what was happening. And he saw her kill him, but I don't think that's true. I think he just came home and was like, was aware um yeah okay so ray yeah so i think well yeah there's a lot of debate about whether ray was dumb or quiet (laughs) and he was either dumb or he kept the murder a secret so probably in exchange for money my question would then be if he was keeping quiet what was different this time i don't know i think it may have been that she was having an affair with him um I also think that he may have helped her dispose of bodies and um, I think she just paid him to do it. Like, because the thing is that she really did need help on the farm and she was making most of I don't think the farm was making any money though. I think the most of her money was coming from the suitors she was killing. So Yeah, she was a micro-influencer and that's how she was making her money. Exactly. So, so she I think could do she... her girl boss hobbies of, you know, urban farming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think she needed him in a way. I think she yeah. needed him to help her. And she just thought it would be easier to just pay him like a little extra to not tell anyone, you know, and then he was getting paid. So he would not have a reason to. Um, but either way, Andrew was never seen alive again. And Ray was either fired or he quit. Um and he was replaced by a man named Joe Maxson. But as soon as Ray left, Bell started trying to get him declared insane or arrested, which again to me says that he knew something. Oh, 100%. Um, and there was even a trial where she claimed that he had trespassed on her property and he was ordered to pay a fine. Uh, on April 27, 1908, the kids came to school and they were like really upset. And their teacher. How many kids were left at this point? Who was left? Um, Lucy Myrtle, um, Philip, who was the the boy that she gave birth to under mysterious circumstances. <laughs> Luckily, and that's it. Okay. So, luckily, so on April twenty seventh, in nineteen oh eight, the kids 
came to school and they were really upset. And their teacher later recounted a story that the kids had been playing on the farm and they had like gone, started to go into the cellar and Belle had grabbed them and beaten them, which was not her MO. She didn't beat her kids. Um, but she had grabbed them and beaten them and said, don't go poking your faces where they're not wanted. And the teacher was like, are you guys not allowed in the cellar? And they were like, yeah, we're never allowed in the cellar, but we just kind of like forgot. And we just like, were playing near the door and mom freaked out. Then Belle went to a lawyer and she told him that she was terrified of Ray Lamb fear and that she wanted to draft a will because she was afraid something might happen to her. And the will said that her estate should go to her children. Um, and in the event of the death of all of her, all three of her children, her property was to go to the Norwegian Children's Home of Chicago. Then so you could really went, send kids upstate to a farm. Yeah, exactly. She was like, if I die, I want my estate to go to my three children. And if all three of them happen to die under some mysterious circumstance, luckily, then donate the farm <laughs> to the Norwegian Children's Home of Chicago. Then she went to a grocery store and bought candy, a cake, and a toy train. And she told the clerk she was giving the children a little treat. And when the clerk was like, oh, is it their birthday? She was like, no, I'm just giving them a little surprise. No, the opposite. Yes. Then she went to the grocery store and bought some groceries and two gallons of kerosene. <laughs> she it's also, for the candles for the cake. She also told a local clerk that she was afraid that Ray might set fire to her home and belongings and murder her and her children. And the clerk was like, that's an odd thing to say. How many cans of kerosene do you need? Yeah, exactly. What an interesting anecdote. <laughs> what an interesting, unrelated anecdote. Um, that night, Joe, who was the new farmhand, remembers that they all had dinner because the farmhands lived in the house, but they lived in like a separate wing of the house, basically. And so, but they all would like have dinner together. And Joe remembers they all had dinner and then all five of them hung out in the parlor and played games and ate cake. And then at like 8.30, he got tired and he went up to bed. And as he went upstairs, he watched Belle play with the children and the toy train. Around 3.30 a.m., Joe woke up and thought that it must be morning and that Belle must be cooking breakfast because he thought he smelled burning hotcakes. And then he realized that the entire house was on fire. Oh, my God. So he ran downstairs and he started banging on the door that separated the part of the house he slept in from the part where Belle and the children slept. But he couldn't get the door open. So then he ran outside. And then from there, he watched the roof collapse onto the room that he'd been asleep in. So then he took an axe to the front door right as the neighbors arrived to offer help. Um, and the neighbors grabbed a ladder and they threw like a brick through the, the they asked uh, Joe which window was Belle's and which was the children's. And he pointed out the windows on the second story and they threw like a brick and broke the windows. And then they put a ladder up and climbed up to the windows. And one of the neighbors got up to the window and he looked inside Belle's room and there was no one in there. There was just like a mattress on the floor in the corner. And then they moved the ladder and went and looked in the children's room and there was no one inside. So they climbed back down and they ran off to get the sheriff. And at that point, there was really nothing they could do. The entire house was like, just like about to fall down. Um, so they just like watched it burn basically. And the only, there was like one corner of the house because of the direction the wind was blowing that didn't get completely turned to ash. 
So once the flames were out, the authorities uh, and a group of locals came in to dig through the, the wreckage and see if they could essentially like find the bodies. Um, eventually they did find the bodies. They found the three children along with the mother, but notably Belle's body was missing the head. Hmm. Of course, Ray was blamed immediately because Belle had been going all around town saying, I sure hope Ray doesn't burn my house down and murder me in my sleep. Um, And Ray was like, I didn't do it. And he didn't want the public to know. But the reason, like his alibi was that he had spent the night with a woman named Liz Smith. Um, He was getting And that story was. (laughs) Exactly. Happy people don't shoot their husbands. Um, (laughs) And. That was corroborated, so Ray probably didn't do it. Um, but Ray was still held without bail. Jenny's older sister, um, who was like the so Jenny, her first child that was bequeathed to her, had an older sister that lived with the father um, after their mother's death, and Jenny's older sister who had been separated from her since they were children, but they still corresponded most of their lives, hadn't received a letter from Jenny in two years. Right, because she went to college, luckily. Right. And she was concerned that when she heard about the Gunnis fire, she was concerned that Jenny had maybe come home from college and had been at the farm the night of the fire. So she came into town um, just to, like, see what was up. And Belle's sister came into town with her adult children, and she was, like, upset to learn that Belle's will bequeathed the estate to the Norwegian children's home when Belle had, like, very much, very much alive family. And then Jenny's sister was like, wait, why would she bequeath her estate only to the other three children but not to Jenny? Oh, oh my God. I cannot. Can you imagine, like, oh, my God, like, you forgot to put Jenny on the will. So. Because you killed her. She slipped up. Ugh, so stupid. Oh my God. Right? I was like, when I read that, I was like, oh my God, my mind is blown. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I didn't think about it either. Because we know she's dead. But like, if we were pretending she wasn't dead, we would certainly put her on the will. Yeah. So dumb. <sighs> then. Andrew Helgeline's brother showed up like a fucking Sherlock Holmes over here because for the past like year, well, yeah, he had died like several months before this, but like for the past several months, he had not heard from his brother and he knew, well, he hadn't heard from his brother. So he like went through his stuff and he found the letters and he was like, what the fuck? So he came to Laporte, but he, but he knew, like he knew that he must've like something must've happened to him. Um, so he was like separately following his own little Sherlock Holmes trail that led him like right to the Gunnis estate right after it burned down. And he was suspicious. And, um, basically what happened was, uh, after the fire, there were like a couple of men, Joe Maxson was one of them who stuck around and just like, basically like dug up the ashes and like, cleaned up the the area and that sort of thing, like just doing damage control. So Andrew came by the estate and he was like, hey, Joe, I have a question about that lake on the back of the property. Like, 
Did it ever have like a hole in the ice during the winter? Wouldn't it be like a fun place to dump a body? <laughs> and Joe was like, no, it was actually solid ice all winter. Like, I, I don't think so. And Andrew was like, dang. Oh, well. And Andrew left. But then like literally as he se- stepped off the property, he was like, hey, by the way, you guys don't remember any weird holes being dug up on the property recently, do you? And Joe was like, you know what? Weird that you say that as a matter of fact. I do. So. What? Andrew. This is the first time we're hearing about holes? Mm-hmm. Andrew asked him to show, asked Joe to show him the hole that he had, that had been dug up recently. And he basically said, like, yeah, like, Belle asked me to dig a hole. And then she, like, whatever, like, threw some trash in it and she buried, like, covered it up. <laughs> So Andrew asked him to show him the hole and show me the hole. Not not Andrew. (laughs) Yes. Sorry. Not Andrew. Andrew's brother. Mm -hmm. Andrew's brother asked him to show him the hole and they started digging. And that was where they found Andrew. (gasps) So I can't believe they found a body. They called the police and the police came and the police were like, Joe, do you know of any other, oh God, I hate that they called it this, soft spots on the property? Ew. Joe pointed, they dug, and that's where they found Jenny. <gasps> and this started a media frenzy because now there were two bodies on the farm. And Joe was like, macro influencer. Exactly. And Joe was like, and guys, there's a lot more holes. (laughs) Why is this the first anyone is hearing of the holes? We later found out that there was a Polish immigrant who was hired in the summer of 1906 to dig a couple of holes because the farmhand wasn't digging holes fast enough. Oh my God. Um, so people started showing up like in by the thousands to watch them dig up the Gunnis farm because this was like OG true crime. People were jumping in graves, like people were jumping into the holes after they pulled bodies out. Most of the remains found on the property couldn't be identified because they were almost all of them were dismembered. Um holy shit. It was hard to come up with a solid number, but they estimated 12 bodies that they pulled out of the ground. Oh my God. Um, during that time, it became a huge tourist attraction. Uh, I think I may have cut this out cause it's gruesome. So I actually don't have, I don't think I have this in here. Wait. Uh, yeah, I don't have this in here. I think I cut it out cause it was like really gruesome, but I'm just going to spark notes it, which is someone later said that when that they, there was like a suspicion that she was dismembering men in the cellar, which is why the kids weren't allowed in there. And then she would bury them like in burlap sacks, basically. But a lot Very of them... rustic chic. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of them, like their bodies were never found. And there is suspicion that she ground some of them up and fed them to the hogs. Oh my God. Yeah. So where were we? Okay, so... They found like 12 bodies on the farm, but 
there was still the matter of Belle's body. So they had Ray, like, held without bail for a murder that he didn't commit. And a dentist told the sheriff, Belle's dentist told the sheriff that he could identify Belle by her teeth because she had some bridge work done that included a couple of fake teeth and like a gold plate. And he was like, I would know it anywhere. So the sheriff hired a prospector named Lewis Schultz, AKA old Klondike. Oh, (gasps) I would do anything for him. (laughs) (laughs) I know to come sift through the rubble in search of Belle's teeth and gold bridge work. And he did set up like one of those early 1900s sieves where it's like a little wheel with water and like a long trough. And it like people came by the thousands to watch him sift through the fucking ash for teeth. Um, And after several days of sifting through the rubble and ash, old Klondike did find teeth and bridge work. And... The sheriff literally threw his cap in the air and yelled, they're found. He didn't say Eureka? Eureka. I know. I'm furious. Oh, my God. He was handed that. He did the hat throw. I know. Is it Greek or Latin? I don't know. For, I only know for I've found it. when all California children have to learn about the gold rush. And I think we are the only people yeah. who do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think any other so, state teaches kids about the gold rush. I don't think so either. Not as in-depth as we do when we have to cosplay it, basically. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Because other states have cool stuff. Like, if you live in Oregon, I think you learn about the Oregon Trail. So they brought the the teeth, the fake teeth, the bridge work to her dentist. And he was like, yep, that's my work. I did it. Those are her teeth, like her fake teeth. Um, And a reporter asked, like, okay, but what's to have prevented her from removing the teeth and just throwing them into the fire before she left and the dentist said well there one of her real teeth was still attached to it so in order to do that she would have had to have pulled it pulled out one of her own teeth when she pulled the fake teeth out and there's no way a six foot tall 280 pound woman could have done that and they were all there's like, no oh, way a hashtag point. girl boss would pull out her own <laughs> tooth there's no way that a woman who by her who by herself dismembered 40 men could possibly have pulled out one of her own teeth who killed like five of her own children in cold blood um not everyone was convinced that she wouldn't do that but it was enough to charge ray with murder and arson wow so ray was put on trial for murder and arson um and i'm not gonna get into the trial because it's fucking stupid but ray was found guilty of arson but acquitted of murder he was sentenced to 20 years in prison on december 30th of 1909 he died of tubercular tuberculosis but luckily (laughs) luckily he left something very special behind can you guess what it is a trunk of clothes close it's I wrote it. I wrote it. A deathbed confession song. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. <laughs> I just felt like once every ten episodes we get a deathbed confession, and we should have a sound for it. And then I started making a sound, and then it turned into a song. 
I'm, you're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> so Ray left a deathbed confession, and as a result, we get a song. Yes. Deathbed, deathbed confession. The verse goes, he could have died in that bed, but he confessed instead, and then he died. Deathbed, deathbed <laughs> confession. <laughs> but you can't it's hear it because the computer is quiet. Perfect. But yeah, you're going to love it. So, two things happened. <laughs> Sorry. He could have died in that bed, but he confessed instead, and then he died. <laughs> deathbed, deathbed confession. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Thank you, thank you. So, two things happened. He, first, the priest who, like, gave his last rites came out to the press and said that he gave him a deathbed confession. But the story that the priest told was, like, wild. And there's no way I don't think that it's true. So, yeah, the priest told a story that was, like, incendiary in the press. And it, honestly, it may have even just been the press that made it up. I have no idea. Um... Anyway, I don't really buy it. It was that Ray had like drilled a hole in the floor of the cellar or the floor of the house that he could look through the cellar. And um, he watched her murder Andrew Helgeline. And then she fired him. And then he came back the night of the fire with Liz Smith, who was the woman he was sleeping with. And the two of them killed Belle and cut off her head and uh, chloroformed the children and killed them and then um, stole stuff from them and then left. But he didn't set the house on fire, but they must have knocked over a candle and the house burned down or something like that. Like, it was just bizarre. Um, Especially because we know that she bought that kerosene and the investigators saw that there was an accelerant used in the fire. So... The fake confession from Ray that he accidentally burned the house down after, like, chloroforming them and whatever, I just don't think is real. Mm -mm. Um, But there was a man who was in prison with Ray Lamphere, and he, his, one of his jobs in the prison was, like, nursing sick inmates, and he nursed Ray Lamphere when he was dying. And he said that Ray told him a deathbed confession that I do believe, which is that Ray said that the headless body they found in the fire was actually the body of a Chicago woman that Belle had lured to the farm under the pretense pretense of hiring a housekeeper uh, like a week before the fire and that she had poisoned her like two days before the fire, cut off her head so that they couldn't identify her. And then uh, he said that in his, in his, he said in Ray's deathbed confession, he said that, she cut off her head and put it in a box with two other heads and asked Ray to bury the box in the field of rye. Um, And that she had killed her children to keep them from talking because Myrtle had been saying to kids at school that she killed her, their father. And Ray, or the guy who was nursing Ray said that she killed the Chicago woman, dressed her in her clothes, and that um, the night of the fire... She he bas- she basically asked Ray to drive her nine miles out like out away and drop her off where she met a man that Ray didn't know who took her to Chicago and then gave Ray five hundred dollars and told him to go back and light the fire. Oh my god! So we don't know if that's true, but that sounds a lot more plausible to me than the other deathbed confession that came from a priest that was given to a newspaper. 
Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, and I think, honestly, I think the truth is, like, somewhere in the middle. Um, but, yeah, so we don't know if that was true, but reported sightings of Belle in Chicago lasted for, like, 20 years after this. I have a question. Um, yeah. What was the whole thing about the Norwegian children's home? Are we getting to that? No. She just knew she was going to burn the house down, and... So why did she I leave think, it all to the Norwegian children's home? Like, why didn't... It was a stunt. I totally think it was a stunt. So we know that Belle, like, remember how I said in the beginning that she, like, loved children so much or whatever? Um, I think that was part of her cloaking device. Because when she died, no one knew that she had 20 bodies buried on the farm. So I think that she basically wrote the will because she was trying to make people think that Ray was going to kill her. So she went to the lawyer and she was like, Ray's going to kill me, so I need a will. Uh, if we all die, give it to charity because I'm such a good person. But she knew she was going to burn it down. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, otherwise, she so the Norwegian well Children's Home only got a crime scene, basically. Correct. Yeah, correct. Um, I think it was just part of her carefully crafted persona was that she was like loved children. And if she and all three of her children died, luckily, that they should <laughs> donate it to charity. But she knew she was going to burn it down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think she had to do that because she couldn't write a will. And bequeath it to herself. And bequeath <laughs> it to her. Well, she couldn't give it to her children because she knew she was going to kill them. Yeah. So she knew that she needed a will that was like in the event, you know what I mean? That all yeah. of us die. I um, you. That makes sense. Reported sightings of Belle lasted for the next 20 years. Also, there was one really creepy one. I didn't write this down, but there was a really creepy one of someone in town who was, like, driving uh, past the Gunness estate at night, and they saw, like, a buggy, like, parked out front, and they saw Belle, like, searching through the, like, it was not rubble at that point, but, like, it was, like, burned out. They saw Belle, like, searching through it and heard her say something like, that money's not here, and then get into the buggy, and they just, like... <gasps> fucking took off and left <laughs> that is so um, ooky yeah so we don't know i mean it's very possible that that was her body in the fire but i don't buy it <laughs> i don't buy it for a second because fires don't explode heads like that no <laughs> like why would all of the children be like essentially intact but just bell's head would be missing no it was not her and i fully believe that she pulled her own teeth out 100 percent um it's that girl boss energy. Do what you exactly. need to get what you want, you know? Anthropologists did run a DNA test on the remains that were believed to be Bell's, but the results were inconclusive. Fucking goddamn. Which tells me that it's like just very likely that it's not her because they if they had anything to test it against, it would have been if it was a match, it would have been a match, right? Don't you think? Yeah, I would say inconclusive is like a soft no. leans toward no yeah. Yeah, i agree um it's like so when you ask your parents for another dog and they're like we'll think about it inconclusive <laughs> <laughs> the results are inconclusive <laughs> at this time so what became of Belle? we don't know Ah. Uh, the end i'm so curious what she did in chicago <laughs> I don't know, but I totally believe that she went back to Chicago. There was also um, a woman in Chicago who they believed was Belle for a really long time. And her husband also died. And then when they 
buried her. Um, like the sheriff from the port came and ID'd her and was like, that was, that is, it's definitely her. But they did then like, you know, hundred years later run a DNA test on her and it was not Belle. Oh my God. Wait, did but, she go to Chicago during the World's Fair? Or was it over? You mean when she lived there the first time or after the house burned down? Both. I'm just wondering if she I, overlapped with H.H. H. Holmes at all. Some people think that H.H. H. Holmes may have inspired her. God. They two, mentioned that on last podcast. Two so I girl bosses. I, I don't know the source for that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but there were so many sightings of her that the police, and the police really did go, like, often and, like, check them out because they were so unsure about whether or not those were her remains in the fire. God, can you imagine no, going to Chicago and just, like, glimpsing no. Belle in the crowd? Like, the They're giant like, Oh, God, you're freaking she's out. Don't so do She's so distinctive. tall. It's hard to hide when you're yeah. Belle Gunness. Um, they're like, that new candy store owner is <laughs> rough. Um, <laughs> it's rough. So that is the story of the mystery of Belle Gunness, the butcher of men. I hashtag loved it. Meat grinder feminism. Hashtag girl boss. I love hashtag, hashtag Captain Paltrow. Captain Paltrow. <laughs> that was so good. I'm glad you liked it. I, I feel liked nourished. <laughs> Bell. Wow. Yeah, crazy. Fucking insane. So, is that and I think this is also maybe the first female serial killer we've ever covered. Uh, yeah, it is. Because we don't really not cover serial murderer, killers, but because yeah, they're not often unsolved. <laughs> yeah. I know. Dang, yeah, she really. You know what? She really did that. She did that. She did that, <laughs> yes, queen. And she didn't get caught. I someone on TikTok said like maybe the reason they think there are no female female serial killers is because they're better at not getting caught. And I was like, oh, a hundred percent, spooky. That doesn't. That comforts me. Yeah. So thank you for listening. I know that was gruesome at times, but mm, I nope. hope that you all enjoyed it. I loved uh, it. Follow us on Instagram to make our TikTok jealous, and mm-hmm. follow us on TikTok to build our empire. <laughs> I would, I would our call girl it an boss empire. Meat grinder empire. Our hashtag girl boss meat grinder feminism <laughs> empire. <laughs> That's the one. Um, if you've listened this far, thanks for being a real mystery team member. Um, <laughs> Stay tuned for my social security number. If, <laughs> exactly. If you are a listener who I promised a shirt to last week, I got notified that they shipped today. So your shirt is on the way. Yay, yay, yay. Um, buckle the buck up. Stay in your lane. We don't know. Girl boss smooches. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.